Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and with me are my jovial co-hosts, Maria Jose Munita and Mario Sikora. How, how does that hit you today? Uh, do you jovial? feel jovial? I'm just assuming things at this point. I, I get, do you got a thesaurus uh, for me, Joe? <laughs> okay, Mr. Big Words. Um. The funny thing is that in Spanish, do you know how you say jovial? No. I don't. Jovial. Jovial. Uh, yeah, it's the same. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So jo- I do. So I do. I just played tennis all weekend. So um, I feel very. You're feeling jovial. jovial huh? I am. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, Mario, you could be a Santa Claus if you. Uh, well, that's jolly, you know. isn't it? I mean, does, does Santa Claus get you know uh, viewed as jovial? Mm, I think no. so. Okay. No. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Anyways, um, we are I talking. I get curmudgeonly about- much more often than, <laughs> what? than jovial. What curmudgeonly. Is that? What's that? Uh, like you know, grumpy old man kind of. Well, you know, I get that. Yeah. 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 What's what's grumpy in Spanish? <laughs> Enojón. 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 Is that like ang- that sounds like angry? Yes. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Subdued anger. Um, so uh, we're actually going to be talking about um, the process of change with each type. Uh, we're going to be talking about one, two, and three today giving some specific examples on how to apply the awareness to action process process which we outlined in the previous episode so make sure to go listen to those to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about um but yeah we're going to go type specific so this is fun this is fun so where do we want to start well uh, first of all i i think we you know what we agree we would do is um uh look at how we did it originally in awareness to action in the Mm. book this process was first spelled out um 20 years ago in our book, um, uh, Awareness to Action, The Enneagram, Emotional Intelligence and Change by uh, me and Bob Talon. And um, what we did in that book was we looked at the, we identified 16 emotional competencies, right? So, so back then, Daniel Goleman's work on emotional intelligence was really, really big, right? And uh, he had just come out with working with emotional intelligence and he identified 24 emotional competencies, and uh, we thought, well, let's you know look at the Enneagram types through this lens. And we thought 24 was too many, right? Um, there was a lot of redundancy there, and I think Goldman has even narrowed down his list uh, since then. But we ended up with 16 competencies, and we looked at each Enneagram type and mapped out how they tend to do typically and when under stress in each of those competencies. From there, we picked one and put it through the awareness to action process. Um, so as we talk about these, I'd like to kind of talk about how we did it in the book and then how things have evolved since then, right? One, one would hope there's been a little evolution hmm. you know, since uh, over 20 years. So You mean you have changed your mind? I have changed my mind. I've wow. changed my mind quite a bit, yeah. Too often yeah. at times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a recipe. Once yeah. you, we get something printed, he changes his mind about something, but it's printed there. It never fails. What is that? <laughs> what's that? What's that tendency about? Well, it's one would hope that one is always learning. Right. And one is always seeing things a little bit differently and one is always refining their insights. And 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 this is one of the challenges of writing a book 
And you see this a lot in the Enneagram. I mean, how much of the Enneagram literature do we see that's based on books that are 25 years old? Yeah. And even the authors of those books don't teach things that way anymore, right? But now they're taken as gospel in mm. some of the more you know superficial approaches to the Enneagram because mm-hmm. you know I heard it in the book, I read it in the book, and you know that sort of thing. So, right, um, y- you know, and look, you know, we know a lot of those authors. We know, I don't know, Maria say we know pretty much all the major Enneagram authors, and their ideas are different, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what smart people do, right? They change their mind over time. And, uh, you know, but again, if you go back to awareness to action, I think it, you know, I think it holds up pretty well, uh, the descriptions of the types. One thing I will say, since we're talking about the book, it's pretty clear to me that each chapter is focused on a particular subtype of the types, right? We don't talk about subtypes in, in that book mm. uh, because it wasn't something I was that focused on at the mm. time and uh, hadn't developed my ideas in that area for, you know, until later. So you can see the chapter on the eight, for example, is about the navigating eight, and the chapter on the six is the preserving six, and you know that sort of thing. So that's one thing. You know, were I to write the book again, you know, I would do differently. Right? right? Book is called. Uh, so the book's uh, awareness to action: the Enneagram, emotional intelligence, and change. Yeah, the other thing that changed it's um, that it was originally the, the strategies were originally striving to be perfect and connected and secure, et cetera. And now it's it's striving to feel, which is a big difference, I think. And and it shows the emphasis on that affective state that drives Mm -hmm. so much of this, right? So much of these behaviors, so many of these thoughts, so many of these patterns of emotion. It's this need, it's this regulating need to feel a certain way. Mm Mm-hmm. One slightly bunny trail question. Yeah. Do you have any intention of re-release, like rewriting, re-releasing your books? Uh, well, they're all still out there, right? I mean, um, we did, um, not that this helps most of our listeners, but uh, there was a Middle Eastern version that is updated. <laughs> so if, you, if you're ever in Cairo, um, you know, you can stop at Diwan Bookstore and pick up the, uh, um, you know, the, the book. It's and, a beautiful bookstore. It is. It's a wonderful bookstore. Yeah, it's a great mm. place. Um, but uh, uh, and through Cairo, yeah, and in the ebook, uh, we did change it to um, striving to feel right. Mm. But uh, the tricky thing about uh, awareness to action is that it was published by University of Scranton Press, and they basically went out of business, but decided to keep all the books in print. The press went out of business, uh, but the university's still there. Okay. That sort of thing. So. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't go back and do, you know, awareness to action too. Uh, sure. You know, we, we've done instinctual leadership, which I think is, you know, a good update and a good complement to awareness to action. And our Enneagram guidebook, I think, is a, a real simple version of, mm-hmm. that combines the best of the, the two of those. Great. Well, let's go ahead and jump into. Um, we'll start with one. And how did how, what what was the original? And then how did you shift that language into 
into more modern terms. Yeah, so it's it's not even, I, I think, how we shifted. So, you know, what, what we did in, in the book is we looked at, okay. Um, I'm going to ask the question better. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. So no, it's no. not that, and it's not that. So no, it, com- it, it, your question was completely wrong. So yeah, let, me, yeah. <laughs> let me rephrase that. Are we on the same podcast here, Creek? Yeah. I mean, you're going. You know. <laughs> no, is, how did you make good, your beef stew? A, a good way of... Uh, introducing type one, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's not that. It's not that. Yeah, it's all yeah. wrong, Craig. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. No, no. Here, here, so, so here's um, here's what I would say is different. Okay, is that now we it's it's much simpler. It's much more direct. It's much uh, more to the point in the way that we help people rewrite the stories. Right. So uh, we were trying to give examples. So what we did in the book is we picked one emotional competency for each type and said, okay, uh, type one can uh, work on the competency of optimism. And so we show here's the kind of internal narrative of the type one that will limit their ability to be more optimistic. Here's how they can rewrite that internal narrative in a way that will allow them to be more optimistic. And then here are some behaviors they can take. And now we, we just get to the point much more quickly, I think, right? Maria Jose, why don't you speak to that? Yeah, I first agreed with you, but I think that it's because for us, it's now more kind of intuitive. Yeah. And maybe for someone who is yes. just beginning to apply the process, this is what they need yeah. spelled out in all of these detail because um, it's just hard to do it without understanding the internal narrative that limits us and then how we need to rewrite it. I think this needs to be spelled out first in this detail and then you can do it in a shorter way, but it's pretty much the same, just faster. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a good point because something we started to see, Creek, a, a while ago when we would teach the awareness to action process is that I'm not a good person to teach it, right? I'm, in fact, I'm awful at really teaching bad. it. Really <laughs> bad. That you're saying it. <laughs> because it's just so implicit in me, right? I mean, it's just such second nature that my brain just goes right, you know, right to the end point. Okay. And, and, and so I don't know, you know, I forget how to take people there. Yeah. And you haven't done it in a while because I just. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Maria Jose has taken that over and soon she'll lose the ability to do it as well. And we'll have to pass it on to, you know, to to somebody else. So is that um, because as a Nate, you don't have emotions? That's, that's (laughs) what I've heard at least. Is that, does that correct? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have patience is, is really what it is. No, but, you know, again, and, and Maria Jose, I appreciate that point because I think you're right that in the way they're described. So let me give the, the example. So I'll, 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 let me read from uh, the Awareness to Action here. So, um, you know, we, we tell people identify your current behaviors and uh, identify how your preferred strategy is in conflict with improving this competency. And we say, you know, we give an example of what this might look like for a one. To me, striving to feel perfect means fixing what is broken and making things exactly right. This involves looking for what is not perfect, being on guard about what could go wrong, who's going to mess up next, and how I can fix things. I see people, organizations, and systems as flawed and in need of repair, and I don't have much hope in human nature. 
All of these are in conflict with optimism. Okay, so so we're describing what you know the the, the inner state of the one might look like related to optimism. Okay, and why when you tell a one just be more optimistic, they just can't do that because they have this kind of narrative in their head, right? And so we suggest, well, try rewriting it like this, right? So harboring a negative attitude, micromanaging people, and being critical of myself and others undermines my efforts to be perfect, right? And this is the important thing. These behaviors that felt like they were, I'm going off the script here for a second, but, you know, holding on to these these outdated ideas of what being perfect means actually undermines our ability to be perfect. And we realize, oh, wait a minute, these things are actually making me less perfect. Uh, Being perfect means taking a broader view of people and things. Being perfect also involves seeing the best in myself and others rather than focusing on flaws. Mistakes are a part of life and are really opportunities to improve, to develop myself and help others become more effective. So by accepting things as flawed and broken and people as having shortcomings, you know, we can actually be more perfect because that's how reality actually is. Yeah, and and eight out of nine types can see the point very easily. Right. (laughs) But once really start going to like, okay, but if I don't focus on that, then things will be wrong, mistaken, or, and I don't want that. That goes against how I want to feel. So, and I think that this is not about, and we've said this several times, but I'll repeat it anyway, like accepting doesn't mean that you agree with it or that you think that it's good. You're just accepting that it happens. And mistakes will happen whether you want it or not. And you can try hard to avoid them, to minimize them. But that sometimes comes at a cost. And this negative attitude that you were talking about can seem like, can manifest as angry, resentful, rigid. And that's really far away from perfect. It's not perfect. So you're trying to get something uh, to be perfect, but then you are behaving in a way that it's far from perfect. So understanding that, I think, helps to be more optimistic. In, in the book, because we were being kind of general and not aimed at specific things, then the advice is kind of general as well, right? And even the rewriting of the story is fairly general. And when we're coaching actual real people, the issues that they're working on are more specific. Mm -hmm. And when you have more specific issues, you can get more specific in the crafting of that new story. And the action plan can be very specific to the circumstances. So, for example, I remember working with a client who was a one, and it was around this issue of optimism, right? I mean, everybody just saw him as a pessimistic, negative guy. And, you know, again, in his mind, he was looking for what could go wrong, and that's what he's focused on. So that's what comes up. And he started accepting that, okay, it's actually more perfect if my people like coming to work, right? If they do a good job and they're inspired and motivated and that optimism would help with that. So he said, okay, well, I can be more perfect by being optimistic at least some of the time, particularly around these three people 
who really seem to need it the most. So that's when we talk about now we'd be more specific than we were in the book. It's because, you know, you're cutting to the chase and a point, but also you have very specific examples to work with. And the behavior would be, okay, pick those three people and point out the good things that they do instead of just the negative things that they do, rather than the more generic advice that's in the book. Yeah, I'll share a a personal example, just you taking advantage of me being a one and understanding how tricky it is to talk about clients' experiences because of confidentiality issues. But um, at some point when I started doing workshops uh, with clients, with teams, I would get really stressed out and uh, rigid about the structure and the agenda of the training. And I was kind of pissed off when people didn't follow the rules or didn't stop talking when I asked them to stop talking. And because if the workshop were to be perfect, they had to do as I said. That's what I thought. And then I, when I noticed that I was getting angry about it, I thought, well, being angry while facilitating a workshop is not really perfect. So I started uh, rewriting the story of what's being perfect. And it felt a lot more perfect to be, to create a positive environment than to go strictly by the agenda that I had created. And then I realized that sometimes things need to happen. And that links back to the other two emotional intelligence competencies that you um, came up with for once, which are adaptability and empathy. And when you uh, have more empathy and say, okay, maybe these people need to talk more. They haven't talked about this issue ever. And I'll let them talk, even if time is up. And then I am more adaptable in that because of that then I am, I feel lighter and more optimistic about them. And I'm not judging them, but I am kind of understanding that that's what they need and that's the best for them in that particular moment. That feels perfect. It's not that that I'm saying, oh, I'll let these go the wrong way, but I'll just accept it. No, no, no. This is what they need today. And that allows me to take it in a positive way. Neat. <clears throat> no, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Did you say something? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, no. since then, it's like I'm so and honestly, this has improved because this was years ago, and it is neat, Craig. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, and uh, I'm just yeah, no, you're good. And it has continued to evolve, and now it's like. I enjoy improvising when I'm doing Mm -hmm. stuff with teams. I enjoy the surprise of what will come up and plan less things, allowing for whatever has to arise to arise. And I just love it. But I went from very rigid agendas to very loose agendas and enjoying myself a lot more. Mm. And and I will say that, you know, um, she's not exaggerating her growth in this area uh, to the point where there are times when I'm like, okay, you know, we got an agenda to stick to here, Maria Jose, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Enough with the empathy, right? Yeah, I know, I know this person needs you, but, you know, 
Let's move on. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. <laughs> Great. Well, let's. I know. I mean, there's there's probably an infinite amount of ways we can approach each of these types, but um, hopefully that was enough for people to to work with. And I'm sure we'll we'll touch back on this eventually. But so let's go ahead and focus on the two. And uh, so what is what is their emotional competency that they are working on? So the one we picked in the book was um, self awareness. And again, you know, just to point out uh, on this we would never assume, okay, you're a two, so this is what you need to work on, right? We always, you know, look at what's not working for you right now, okay? Was the feedback say that you need to work on? Uh, but in lieu of that, this is a good place for twos to start, just like um, the uh, optimism is for the one. So, and it's self-awareness. What we mean here is that twos are very often very not focused on their needs, Okay, and or even aware of their needs, or even fully aware of what their expectations are of other people, and there's this tendency to downplay them in their desire to help. Um, one of the analogies uh, I almost always use with the twos that I work with is, you know, seeing yourself, you know, when you're on an airplane, right, and they're going over the safety instructor instructions, and they say. If there's a loss of cabin pressure, the mask is going to fall down. And make sure you put your own mask on before you try to help other people. And I remember, I don't know if you were there or not, Maria Jose, but I was doing a training in the Middle East somewhere and gave this advice to a two. And she said, oh, I could never do that. I would never do that on an airplane. I would make sure that other people were taken care of first. And I said, yeah, but you would pass out and maybe die before you could help them. And she just said, yeah, but I could never, I could never just think of myself first, you know? And I thought, wow, nice knowing you, right? And, uh, mm. you know, but it shows, again, to Maria Jose's point about the one, it seems perfectly clear to everybody else, you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself before you can take care of others, okay? And in order to take care of yourself, you have to know what it is you really want and be honest about it. But to twos, this is what they're stuck on, right? So the way we describe the inner story is that um, the maladaptive version of the story, to me, striving to feel connected usually means I'm focused on others and thus, thus avoiding self-reflection. I prefer to align myself with other people and tend to identify myself with their thoughts, emotions, and skills. To improve in self-awareness means moving my focus from others to myself, which is in conflict with striving to feel connected. Okay, if I think about me, then I'll lose connection with you. It's basically what's happening for the two. And what we offered as an alternative was I can connect to my own deepest needs and feelings by developing the ability to be aware of and express my own wants rather than trying to get others to fulfill them for me. Ultimately, this will enable me to truly connect with others without manipulation or dependence. Okay, So self-awareness breeds honesty. Right? And if I know what I really want, then I can kind of feel okay about it. And I can you know, justify it in a sense as something very normal. And that will make for better relationships. I really like it that it's self-awareness and it's not um, asking for help or things like that, right. that are kind of the typical things that people say to twos, um, because it's, it's to the point, like 
it just solves so many issues. It's a good lever to just to focus first on self-awareness rather than doing things, but mm. reflecting on what what you're feeling, what you need, what's happening with you. Can we can we push in just a little bit into when I think of self-awareness, I, I, it, it doesn't track with me as an emotional thing that we need to be. It just doesn't feel like an emotional thing. So, so this is the thing about emotional intelligence and the emotional competencies, right? So depending, you know, if you go back to the literature on emotional intelligence, it's the ability to be aware of our emotional states and to manage our reactions to them. Okay, and the ability to be aware of other people's emotional states and manage our responses to them. So not everything about it is strictly emotional, right? Uh, but self-awareness is usually kind of, you know, identified as the pretty much the first emotional competency that the literature talks about, right? Because without that, if I, if, I, if I don't have self-awareness, how, how, how do I know what I'm feeling, right? How do I know what, um, whether my responses are appropriate or not, okay? So emotional intelligence is built off a foundation of cognitive self-awareness. I'll share an, um, an experience I had with the two. This is not my client, but this is a process this person went through. So she's a, um, transmitting to and she's there for everyone around her uh, all the time with like good vibes, high energy. And at some point she was feeling low on energy. She was feeling not depressed, I have to say, but just not feeling energetic enough to just be there for other people. And she started getting worried about it. And she talked to someone so that was the first thing. It, it got, she had to get to a point where she couldn't function properly to stop and say, okay, what's going on with me? When she did, and we had to force her to ask for help, the person who helped her said, you know what? You don't need anybody's help, but just to focus on yourself and kind of give you Give yourself the advice that you would give to someone else. You know what to do. You just don't pay attention to it. So if you pay attention and think about yourself as if you were talking to someone else, what advice would you give? And I thought it was pretty cool because I was sure that she needed help, like from a coach or someone. But she just needed to pay attention to herself, not find tools to know what to do or anything. So by doing that, she was able, was better able to be in a good move, mood, have more energy and connect with others more effectively because she was getting more isolated because she was feeling down and she didn't want to engage with people because of that. I feel like what you're not saying is these are the emotions that each type needs to work on. No, it's a skill in engaging the yeah. in the emotion that these what these are. Yeah, these are emotional competencies. Okay, you, which you, is not about being competent in emotion, but rather competent. Well, in what how does it you, mean to be competent in emotion? Right. Sure. As well, in some circles, it, it means 
um, learning how to feel certain emotions. And okay. some people not great with anger, some people not great with sadness. Right. So it's, you know, so when you say, and I'm not. Sure, sure, sure. Push pick, back. Yeah, I'm not picking on you here. It's when you say to somebody, okay, you have to learn how to feel anger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's a whole lot of cognitive work that goes into that. You can't just feel your way to learning how to feel anger better, right? You have to make decisions. You have to do explorations. You have to ask yourself questions, okay? And these are all things that happen intellectually. I mean, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, a false distinction to think that our emotions and our thoughts are not deeply intertwined with each other. Sure. And skillful thinking often also means being aware of recognizing our emotional states, right? Because if I'm angry, I might be making bad decisions. So I have to recognize that I'm angry. Okay. So emotional competencies are things like, uh, uh, you know, risk taking, uh, 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 you know, cooperation, for example, is considered an emotional competency. Well, how do you, how do you feel cooperative? Right. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's rooted in a management of my emotional states, but also thinking and behaviors. Okay. So, so this isn't necessarily getting caught up in your head and thinking about all the things. It's like for, for a lot of people, right. When you're, when you're angry, you need some level of cognitive. Okay. I know that in order to process this well, to feel the somaticism of anger, right. I need to, realize that I'm not actually in danger and then I can actually go into the emotion. But but what does it mean to go into the emotion? Meaning to feel it, to process it, to let it What does it mean to process it? And give you data, right? So right. again, it's it's all these things are a mixture of thinking, feeling and doing. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's what emotions are. They're a complex of feelings. Okay. So yeah, emotional. What are you saying has a complex. <laughs> so, um, it, a good example to go back to this self awareness thing and type two. In, I don't know. It's it's my favorite of the two, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts romantic comedies, uh, The Runaway Bride. There's this you know great kind of subplot where. Richard Gere would ask all of her ex fiancés what were her favorite kind of egg, and she they would say, "Oh, she loves omelets just like me," and the next one would say, "She likes scrambled eggs just like me," etc. And she came to realize, I don't even know what kind of eggs I like because I'm so entwined with the other that I have to go off on my own and find myself right, figure out who I am, what I truly like, so that I can have a healthy relationship. And that's just a great example of what the two has to go through. Yeah, and, and several times, the as we all do, but in, in the case of the twos, they get caught up in these emotional reactions that sometimes are quite strong, and they have no idea what's going on. They have a hard time reading what's happening. They can get angry or just crying because of something. And they don't know what's going on. Hmm. They don't see that they're getting frustrated or for what reason they're getting frustrated. Yeah, or that they're projecting their own needs onto somebody else and, you know, without realizing it. 
The trick with most tools and the awareness to action process is to realize that the current narrative is, if I do this behavior, it goes against my feeling need of striving to feel connected. So if we're talking about self-awareness, if I focus on myself, then I will lose point or will go against feeling connected with others, to others. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's going the wrong direction. It's going so the wrong speak. direction. So the new narrative needs to include this new behavior in a way that feels aligned with striving to feel connected. So paying attention to my own needs, to my own emotional states, will help me feel more, even more connected to others. But that's counterintuitive. All right, so let's, let's move into three. Um, what is the emotional competency that they are needing to work on? Yeah, so the one, we, again, the one we identified in the book is cooperation, okay, which is the ability to work effectively with others. And that can be a challenge for somebody who's striving to feel outstanding, right? By nature, striving to feel outstanding means standing out. And it's hard to stand out when you're cooperating. So for the three, they can have a story internally that goes something like, to me, striving to feel outstanding means being the most productive person on my team and being acknowledged as such. I want to stand out from others and not be seen as part of the group. My tendency to reframe things so that I'm seen as the best on my team is in conflict with cooperation. And this is something that every team faces in the business world, right? It's one of the kind of real challenges of functioning on teams in that, you know, you've got all these people on the team, many of whom want a promotion. You know, they want the boss's job. So you're telling me I have to cooperate with people, but I also want a promotion. So I want to stand out as better than the others. Okay. Uh, Threes feel this really acutely. So the advice we gave them was to rewrite their story along the lines of being outstanding means accomplishing not only my personal goals, but the goals of the organization. And I can do this most effectively by working towards shared goals with others. Building relationships that are essential to success builds on cooperation. So again, we, you know, we frame it in terms of continued outstandingness, right? We would never tell a three, ah, stop worrying about being you know, accomplished or successful or outstanding, we'd say, here's another way to do it. And again, for most people, this is pretty obvious. But for threes, sometimes, most times, it just doesn't occur to them. Right. They naturally go after their own goals without worrying about the goals of the person, of the people that I have around me, because it's their goals. So with several clients, I've worked on this and just what the book says, but listening to other people, helping them achieve their goals, uh, participating in their challenges gets them a long way and they can be more of an outstanding leader. Uh, Even if they don't have the uh, formal authority, it gives them more leadership when they do that. And it makes them feel even more outstanding. The the trick for getting through to threes is to help them see other people as amplifiers of their accomplishments, right? I can do more 
through others. I can be more successful through others. I can achieve more in cooperation with other people. Um, and again, it, it speaks the language they want to hear and that they'll respond to, and it makes them better people, right? Which is mm. what we're after here. I could be wrong, but it seems less counterintuitive than the two, than the self-awareness for the two. For that, you. <laughs> okay. No, sorry. Uh, well, but, well, so, but, so, yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, well, say more, Creek. Uh, yeah, say mm. more about that. Uh, just Maybe it's more just, maybe it has something to do with navigating, where it's, it's just maybe more natural for me to be like, yeah, you got to work with people. That's how you get things done. <laughs> Yeah, um, but but when it's when you're talking about your peers, for example, and you don't need them, why worry about them? And, and the other thing too, you know, a, a place where I tend to see this most often is not so much amongst peers as it is around subordinates. Threes can really mm -hmm. struggle with. It's not that they don't care about their subordinates. In fact, they very much do, but they can become frustrated that other people don't act as quickly as they do, that they don't put as much effort into things as they do. And so they just start to take things on themselves, right? They become kind of a individual okay. contributor. And the trick there, yeah, and the trick there is that if they do that, it's so much easier to ask them, those people to, to get things done <laughs> to mm -hmm. those who are slower. So it's a, a vicious cycle in that way. One, one final question that we can answer quickly and then we can wrap this up. How can other, um, other people, if, if they're in relationship to one of these numbers, how can other people um, use this awareness to be able to work with them, work with that particular number? So I think that if they don't see the cost of not focusing on it or not, of not developing it, it's hard. But if they see the need, even if they don't know how to do it, it's the first step. And mm -hmm. if that's there, helping them see what their current narrative is and how it conflicts with their, with their preferred strategy. So with the two, as for your example, they say, I know that I should be more self-aware. And then you, you help them get to the point where they can articulate mm -hmm. this narrative. So, okay, so if I focus too much on myself, I might disconnect from others, for example. Mm -hmm. That's the inner feeling and that's the obstacle to doing it. And then you show them how not focusing on their self-awareness makes them disconnect from people. And usually they don't see that. That's something mm -hmm. that they are unaware of. And we all are regarding our own preferred strategy. So say, okay, so have you realized that if you don't focus on yourself, if you don't reflect on these things, you kind of get more isolated or you get angry at people? And is that, does that make you feel connected or disconnected from them? Okay, mm -hmm. disconnected then they realize that what they're doing doesn't help them feel more connected. And that's when they are open to working on something different. Yeah. But they need yeah. to see that. It's, it's important to get the person to recognize what it is they ultimately want in a situation. And say it's a three, okay? All right, well, yeah, look, what is it you ultimately want here? Okay. 
And eventually they're going to get to, well, what I ultimately want is to, to shine, to be outstanding, whatever word they use for it, okay? And so we say, okay, well, you know, what's, what's the best way to do that here, right? And mm-hmm. knowing that they will come up with a story that already fits their existing narrative and their initial story is going to be, well, it's just going to be to work harder and to push people harder. And, you know, it's, mm. uh, you know, and you say, yeah, okay. Is that really, I mean, do you think really that's the best way to do it? You know? And mm. so to kind of, you know, sometimes you kind of have to steer people a little bit, but people will not appreciate being steered if they feel like you're trying to steer them away from what fundamentally matters, right? So if I was to try and steer a four away from being unique, then I'm just not going to get anywhere with them because that's fund- foundationally important to them. I just mm-hmm. have to help them through discussion, kind of the Socratic method of, well, what's a, what's a better way to be um, unique here? That makes sense. And that's a great transition point into next week, which we will be discussing four, five, and six. So thanks y'all for joining and we'll talk to you next week. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. 